south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 227, covering the week of August 10th through August 14th, 2020. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Abbeville Institute, like our Facebook page at Abbeville Institute, and subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville Institute. You can find all those social media accounts at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. That's A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. While you're there, give us an email address. We'll give you a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition. It's by 20 Southern scholars, 20 essays. It's a great book, and you get it free of charge. You get our Daily Dose of Dixie Monday through Friday then, which is a great way to keep up with the Institute. We also have a conference coming up in October, October 16th and 17th in Charleston, South Carolina. Information about that is on our website. Click on that You're Invited link, and it'll take you out to the description of the conference and what we're doing. It's on Who Owns America, which is a great book that came out in 1936, and we'll address the New South, which is a very important part of the Southern tradition that's often missed. So all the details, again, are available on our website. Check that out. You can support the Institute by clicking on that Support tab at abbevilleinstitute.org. You can donate monthly, annually, or a one-time gift, and all of your contributions are tax-deductible to the full extent of the law, so we do appreciate any support you might give us. Please share our podcast around on social media, our, our articles on social media. Please rate our podcast where you get your podcast. It's a great way to help grow the audience. And remember that we do exist on your generous contributions alone. So, of course, you can also get your Abbeville Institute apparel, at abbevilleinstitute.org. Just click on that shop tab. It'll take you out to our web store. And there you can find our apparel, which will help advertise the Institute as well. So lots of great ways to support the Institute and to support our mission and let people know you like what we do. We got some really neat things coming up. Hopefully within the next couple of weeks, we've got a project we've been working on now for a while that's going to come to fruition. And I think it's going to be a game changer in a lot of ways. So all that said, let's talk about the week that was at the Institute. And I want to start with the piece on Wednesday because it was just so good. And actually, I'm going to take the time, which I normally don't do, and I'm going to read this piece. And I'm going to read this piece because then it plays into the other pieces that we had for the week. And it's an important summary, essentially, of why the Abbeville Institute exists. We're not a Confederate heritage organization. We are not a Southern history organization. The Abbeville Institute's mission is to explore what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. Now, in that Southern tradition, of course, we talk about the Confederacy. We talk about what's good and bad about the Confederacy. We talk about secession. We talk about nullification. We talk about Southern culture, meaning literature, music, food, language, religion. We talk about the things that made the South a unique and vital component of America. We talk about the postbellum South. We talk about the antebellum South. We talk about the colonial South. The South is 400 years of history. And Southerners are tied to that tradition probably more than any other people in America. That is also a vital part of the Southern tradition, respect for ancestors. Now, it doesn't mean other peoples don't do that. 
But I think the South is, has stronger ties to its ancestors, to its traditions, than any other group of people in America. And there are Southerners all over the United States, in fact, all over the world. The man who wrote the piece on Wednesday, Jason Morgan, lives in Japan, but he's a native Southerner. And you don't have to be born in the South to be a Jeffersonian, which essentially is what the Southern tradition is based on. And so uh, you can be from New Jersey. I get, you know, I get this all the time. Somebody will email me and say, my, my so-and-so and my family is upset because you pick on Yankees and this person's from such-and-such a, a such northern state. Well, I mean, just because you're from a northern state doesn't mean you're a Yankee. There's a particular mindset that makes you a Yankee, and there's Yankees all over the South. Even so people who were born in the South can act like Yankees. It is a cultural mindset that makes you a Yankee, not where you're born. And so that is why the Institute does what it does. It's why we do this podcast. It's why we have the website. It's why we're working on these projects we have in the background. It's why we do our conferences, all of our audio lectures. Let me just say that you've got over 200 audio lectures free of charge on the website, or you can get, download our app. Just go to your app store, look for Abby Valencia, download that app. You've got all the lectures free of charge. And these lectures are not short. I mean, many of them are an hour long. And they're all in the Southern tradition and all these things I'm talking about now. This is what we do. We're better than Southern living because it's not just fluff. We're not just, again, a Confederate heritage organization. We're not some you know, Southern historical society. Our job is to find what is valuable in the Southern tradition. It doesn't mean we don't run pieces at times. It's just, you know, they're, they're just interesting pieces that we put up. But this piece on Wednesday, I think, nicely explained what we do. And uh, Dr. Morgan did a fantastic job with this. So America Without the South is the title of the piece. And I'm going to read this. One of the things we do a lot is discuss Yankees, discuss Northern studies. You see, because the South is always put under a microscope, why not the North? Why is the North not studied like the South? Why is the North free from this penetrating microscope, this probe into their culture and society? Now, people will respond, well, they are doing this, right? I mean, they're looking at the Sierra Club. They're, they're talking about John Muir. They're talking about all their, uh, all their uh, past and places like Brown University and Harvard. They're talking about it. But I don't see anybody taking down statues and doing anything in the North. No, they're not doing that. Because, you see, there it's just, well, I mean, we had these things. But, you know, we were on the right side. We were on the right side of everything. We ended all these things before you did. And you cling to these things, right? So you're the bad guys. As we've talked about before, it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about the person they're attacking. It's more about them. You see, the Yankee runs around in their Prius, not because they want to save the environment. Maybe that's part of it. But what they want to do is signal to everyone else that they want to save the environment. The Yankee stands in line in Oregon and shouts at people who don't agree with them, not because of what they believe in, but because they want to shame you for not believing what they believe in. That is what the Yankee does. And so Jason Morgan, again, I'm going to read this piece. It's so good. He begins, a Yankee is a creature without a civilization, having no people, 
No breeding, no past. He roams the earth by instinct, tearing down the civilizations built by others who, unlike him, lovingly cultivate human society. Being unwelcome in England due to his penchant for religious terrorism, the Yankee was exiled across the sea where he immediately set out destroying the civilization he found there. He ran wild against the Wampanoag and the Iroquois. He put the Lakota and the Navajo into camps where they remain. He later crossed another sea, imprisoned the Hawaiian queen, committed genocide against the Moors, napalmed the Vietnamese in their farming villages, and put the torch to the cultural treasures of Japan. Having practiced looting and pillaging in Atlanta, he put his well-honed skills to use in Baghdad, the ruination of museums and relics following wherever he directed his gaze. A kind of eternal Ostrogoth, a Viking in a peacoat, the Yankee is a scourge upon the planet, a pox, surely sent us for atonement for our sins. And yet for all that, the Yankee is nevertheless a human being. With patient tutelage, he too may be brought into the world of gentility and manners. His is not a hopeless case, no matter how large loom the, de the depredations of his tribe. Tarzan, after all, joined the ranks of men, despite his simian upbringing. Romulus and Remus were raised by a she-wolf. Even Curtis LeMay had somewhere taken the time to instruct him. He might have put down his club and spear and sat at the table with the civilized. The United States is a long experiment in this very thing. Our Yankee cousins inflicted on us as God gave the Philistines to the Hebrews or a test and a burden, but also a chance to do real charity and teach the wayward how to live like human beings. From age to age, the South has tempered the Hun-like nature of the Yankee, patiently bearing with him and quietening him in his atavastic fits. We taught Yankees to read and even to write. Reading our literature, they softened a bit, as a hippopotamus might lie down for a nap if made to listen to Schubert. The Yankees have ever been anxious to take up his weapons and bathe in the blood of innocence, as his ancestors did. We know firsthand, unfortunately, how the Yankee behaves when war gets into his head. But even a raging Yankee may be soothed and tamed with time. American history is a history of the South trying to teach the Yankee to behave like a gentleman. We have not always succeeded, but we have tried. Now, at this late hour of the Republic, we find that the Yankee has apparently thrown off the mantle of civilization with which we tried so hard to clothe him. He began by throwing out Southern literature and arts from his trade schools, which he does not hesitate to call universities. He no longer wanted to hear what words sound like when they speak truth and valor and grace. He wanted only the old tribal feeling of hate and battle. He tested it all out in his trade school campuses, and now, emboldened by the encouragement he has received from the Yankee-captured town named for the greatest Virginian, he fans out across the continent, as he has so many times before, hell-bent on destroying whatever Southerners have labored to build. Like a betrayed teacher, we watch in horror as our charge rampages like a berserker, foaming at the mouth and crying out the slogans taught him by the trade school Marxists. Down come the statues, of course. You will notice that Yankees are not targeting libraries, a few of them being yet able to digest difficult texts. Statues are much easier to understand, but beyond that, Yankees love defacing private property, they having no concept of the thing themselves. They also hate greatness of character, theirs being the ideal that the most violent, the most depraved, shall rule. Most of all, the Yankee hates order and gentility, and so they range the cities of the plain-looking, 
for some scrap of civilization to demolish. Lee, Jackson, Jefferson, all are defaced. Revealing his utter ignorance, the Yankee even lashes out against statues of the 54th Massachusetts, against Lincoln and Grant. Did you think the Yankee was learning any history in his trade schools? When the mechanized police forces, which the Yankees also love, arrive to contain them, because some Yankees, it is true, rather grub money than steal it, and so the shops must stay open and the money changers must remain unmolested, the barbaric hordes cry out in glee. The smoke of the ensuing melee fills their lungs like opium. They are hash eaters feasting on the nightstick and the tear gas canister. They express themselves in grunts and spray paint, tearing, tearing to pieces the civilization that we tried to give them. Alas, to no avail. The South, it's canceled now. The Yankee has thrown it out, seemingly forever. Behold America without the South. Behold the Yankee left to his natural inclinations, his old blood-remembered practices coming out and driving him half in trance to plunder and burn as he has a thousand times before. The Yankees proved ruder than any civilizer could tame. Tarzan, we'll recall, eventually went back to live among the apes. The Yankee, too, goes back to his roots, the Cromwell in him emerging like a crocodile out of a fog. We weep what will come next. God help America, God help the world, while the Yankee is loose and unwhispered to. The only reign the Yankee has ever known, the South, is thrown off. The beast now runs wild. Turn on the TV and see what is going on. The United States was a long struggle for civilization and peace over the brute ruses of our Yankee cousins. That struggle seems finished. But now that the separation is final, fellow Southerners, let us do what we ought to have been permitted to do long ago. Let us give up this Sisyphean chore and leave the Yankee to his barbaric inclinations. Let us secede from the Yankees' hellish country and rebuild our civilization in peace with all men of goodwill, our neighbors, and everyone who aspires to human decency, our friends. Everyone who loves his home and wants to protect and preserve his heritage is a partner. There are southern natives of Michigan and Minnesota, California and Maine, who labor patiently in the arts and at husbandry. It is not a paradox, but the deepest truth of America that anyone in the North who holds America dear and loves his family and homeland is a fellow Southerner. Likewise, the South, thronged with Yankees, has largely forgotten what it means to cherish, to forgive, to clear weeds from the heart, and give thanks for even the hard things. We have been under Yankee capture for far too long. We all need to learn to be civilized. Black and white, yellow and brown, red and sable, come, let us live like God intended, bearing with one another, being Christians, helping one another, not nursing hatred in our souls. Because America without the South is too terrible to contemplate. If the Yankees are done trying to learn their lessons, if they have lit out to wallow in their own filth in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco, then it is useless for us to go on standing at the chalkboard, speaking to an empty room. What is done is done, and Lord knows we tried to effect a peaceful separation 160 years ago. This day has always had to come. It is time to end the experiment in the civilization of the Yankee. One might as well try Akibana on the moon, and to turn our attention to long-suffering homeland, to our long-suffering homeland. Let us welcome to this home all Americans who want to do what might still be done if only the Yankee can be kept at bay. Our hope now is in the South. One country, two systems, no longer. Cast out the Yankee, my friends. Send the carpetbagger back to Boston. And let us live like civilized men once more. 
It's a great piece uh, and full of the very thing that I often talk about, not just here, but also on my own podcast, The Brian McClanahan Show, that the real root of everything in America, and this is something that I remember going to graduate school at South Carolina and Clyde Wilson. I mean, you, you bring up, it's the Yankee. It's not Northerners. There's good Northerners. It's not race. It's not class. It's Yankeeism. This is the real problem. This is the real issue in America. And so we, we have to go deeper. But you see, we, every, Americans, and Yankees in particular, see things, as Jason Morgan points out, superficially. It's, it's money. It's this. It's that. It's these things that we can divide people by. But in reality, that's the Yankee way. So we have this piece, and then with that we have uh, James Rutledge Roche's pieces on the on Monday, the Remnant Part Three, where he talks about essentially the same thing. What can we do now in the face of all that is horrible in the world? What can we do as Southern tradition? The Southern tradition is being just stamped out. I mean, if you listen to my own podcast, The Brian McClanahan Show, yesterday I talked about, or when you get this on Saturday, this week I talked about how bird names are now seen as offensive. Bird names. This is Yankeeism. Bird names. Uh, And the Audubon Society is essentially, uh, you know, prostrating themselves before the PC crowd, saying, we're sorry for calling ourselves the Audubon Society. John James Audubon was one of the most important Americans in science. And yet, we have to apologize for John James Audubon. John James Audubon was an unapologetic Southerner. The Sierra Club, for all of its nastiness and trying to push unconstitutional environmental legislation, we love the environment, but there's ways to do it. It's a matter of the heart, not the sword. And John Muir, who was, of course, a Lincoln supporter, was a Union supporter, was an abolitionist, essentially, uh, traveled through the South and had some pretty harsh things to say about black Southerners. And he was also interested in eugenics and other things. But now the Sierra Club is apologizing for John Muir. Why do we do this? Well, it's the Yankee and all of that. It's the Yankee that comes out. And so Roche talks about what we need to do He says, we must contribute to a renaissance of Southern arts. Whatever our individual talents are, culinary, literary, performing, visual, we must make our experience of the South as a Southern remnant our muse. The alleged cultural inferiority of the American South is nothing more than Yankee arrogance and ignorance. Our lack of a derivative culture poured in from the top, in Donald Davidson's phrase, as opposed to an original culture arising from the folk. What has always made the American South a mirror for artists is another phrase, of Davidson's, is her closeness to nature, her historical consciousness, and the cohesiveness of her communities, a muse which starkly contrasts with atomized, deracinated, and citified life. He says we must cook Southern cuisine in our homes. We must read Southern literature. We must listen to Southern music. When it comes to the visual arts, we cannot replace the great public works of art of ours which have been and will be destroyed. They were from a time when our people were self-conscious and self-confident in spite of, or perhaps because of, 
military defeat and occupation, as well as economic exploitation and impoverishment. That proud sense of self has been turned into self-hatred and self-righteousness. The strange death of anything like the old or new American South and whatever the new South and new South is, is must inspire new works of art, which reflect our unique experience as aliens in our own country. Consider that these arts are a version of the Hebrew law. For the Jewish people, the strict observance of a code of arcane laws kept them apart from host populations, which otherwise would have assimilated them. We, the southern remnant, must keep ourselves apart from the American mainstream. While the Hebrew law is fundamentally unnatural, the southern law should come naturally to us. It could be more rewarding than eating America's best cuisine, reading America's best literature, listening to America's best music, trying your hand at contributing, rather than, and then sharing your work with family and friends. Rootedness, that feeling of belonging to a particular people in a particular place during a particular period, is at the core of Southern identity. And this is what Morgan was saying, too. Uh, he says, we must go back to church. Though not just whatever your family's traditional denomination was, back, back to an Orthodox Christian church or whatever denomination, or may, maybe even of no denomination. He says, get married, have kids. Get out of the American school system. But this is where the, the South is starting to look inward now. I think what people are, are seeing and what they're feeling and what they're afraid of, of course, is this. What is left? What do we do? It's, we, we get emails all the time. What do we do? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I mean, everything is falling apart around us. Well, you have to start looking inward. This is why I say, again, think locally, act locally. You've got to do these things. It's local now. There's no saving some of these areas that are gone. There's no saving the statues, the monuments that are being taken down. I mean, we can try to, to purchase them, collect them, do what we can, but they're gone. When the mayor of Richmond puts the monuments next to a sewage treatment plant, well, you know what he thinks of them. That was done on purpose. These things need to be in the sewer. There's no magnanimity anymore. It's just violence and downright hatred. So what do you do? Well, you have to look inwardly. You have to form communities of people, of like-minded people. This is a hard thing to do. It's, I think Roche talked about the Benedict Option which is something that has been talked about before. You move, and, and look, I've seen this before with Southerners advocating such thing. Everybody moved to an area and everyone lived together, and you can have a community that way. In some ways, that's inorganic. In other ways, that could work. Uh, but uh, you have to get everyone on board with that. But certainly, you can work to change your own community, which might be more organic, or you could move to a new community that better fits your needs and your views. A lot of people are doing that in America. It's something we talk about at the Institute. Why is it that if California left the Union, the good people of California couldn't move in? We'd, we'd welcome them here. That's what Jason Morgan is saying. Let the areas that are the cancers cut them out. Cut out those areas. The Pacific Northwest, California, New England. Cut them out. Get back to real America. Let's advocate decentralization for Yankees. Let them have their Yankee domain and do not let them corrupt anything else. Kerry Roberts said it best in one of our summer schools. If you want to know what Yankee America is like, just look at it. We're living in it now. This is it. 
And in that way, when you read Clyde Wilson's Thursday piece on Mirabeau Lamar, who was a great Southern poet, Lamar is from Georgia, second president of Texas. He founded the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. That's not said here, but uh, he certainly was a, an important American poet. So you've got a couple here. The, the daughter of Mendoza's is uh, often uh, cited as one of his best. Uh, his Soldier of the Cross is really good, too. But, I mean, these are things that uh, both Roche and Morgan are talking about. This is what we need to preserve. And we need to preserve uh, this literature that has been so often forgotten in our modern American society. And then you have Paul Yarbrough's piece on Friday, uh, Jeff, Judas, and Mr. James. And how this, is, this gets into this idea of Yankees within the South. Now, to call Jeff Sessions a Yankee might be a bit of a stretch, but certainly he's been co-opted by the Yankees, and he has certainly been influenced by Yankeeism. Uh, and, I mean, Yarbrough always, he never pulls any punches. He always does it in a way that, you know, he, he puts people down pretty well. And he talks about this Southern singer uh, from Alabama, Early James, who changed the lyrics to uh, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. And, I mean, look, I've never even heard of this guy. He's not that popular, but there's an you know, article about him in Saving Country Music. And uh, he says, you know, you hope that his change pissed some people off. And the lyrics were changed to, unlike my father before me, who I will never understand, unlike the others below me who took a rebel stand, depraved and powered to enslave. I think it's time we laid hate in its grave. I swear by the mud below my feet that monument won't stand no matter how much concrete. That's great, early James. Um, I mean... This is the thing. This is what Morgan's talking about. you got Yankees all over the South. And he's going to say, I'm not a Yankee. I'm, I'm out here. You're a Yankee. You're a Yankee. Unlike my father before me, who I'll never understand. See, he's not tied to tradition. I mean, that says something about early James. Unlike my father before me, who I'll never understand. You're breaking that tradition. Unlike the others below me, who took a, re below me, who took a rebel stand. Depraved. I think it's time we laid hate in his grave. The only people Southerners really hated in 1861 were Yankees. I mean, there wasn't really hate for anything else. This is a stupid word. This word hate is a stupid word. It doesn't even make any sense in the Southern tradition. There's no hate. Not in the Southern tradition. We can find as things move forward, certainly as in many ways things spiraled out of control, there became that. But hate? There's no hate. I'm talking about tearing down monuments, tearing down the very anchor to tradition. Of course, he's singing country music. So, the last piece is Missouri's War by Sandy Mitchum, talking about a great novel, Matt Warriors and Wagon Trains during the Civil War, which is about the war in Missouri. And uh, it's that part of Southern history is often lost. 
But the, as Jason Morgan points out in his piece, again, going back to that, the deprivations that Southerners suffered in Missouri under the hand of the Yankee, the only thing they know is to tear down. And they certainly tore down a good part of Missouri's traditional culture in that war. They certainly tore down the people of Missouri and destroying civilization as they went. There's so much complexity in the South. To say it's, I mean, to say it's one thing or another, the Southern tradition is one thing or another. There's a lot of complexity there. But certainly there are things that Southerners hold in common, and I think that's what Morgan and Roche are trying to get to. And that thing, that one thing that more than anything else is place. When I lectured on Southern music a couple of years ago at our summer school, I talked about there's two themes in Southern music, essentially. One is defiance and one is affirmation. This early James song is def- it's defiance, but in a way not defiance in favor of tradition, which the South would do, but in favor of some ideological perspective that's void of history. So when you talk about defiance and affirmation, these are the things that both Morgan and Roche are talking about. This is the affirmation is the literature. The affirmation is the music, the food, religion. That's the affirmation, the place, the environment. That's the affirmation. The defiance is saying no to the Yankee. That's the defiance. So that's what we need to be doing. Again, thinking locally, thinking internally, what can we do in the face of all of these things? And that's what the Institute hopefully does and fosters some of that in you as a Southerner, no matter where you are, no matter where in the world you are. You have those viewpoints. You are a Southerner. You're a Jeffersonian. Until next time, good day.